Okay, Jeanette Jifkins from Onyx Legal. And today I would like to speak to you about joint venturing. So has there is there anyone in the room who's done a joint venture before? Couple people. Okay, would you say your experience was good, bad or indifferent? It's been varied. It depends on who I, I've done a couple. Some have yep. been horrible and some have been really great. Okay. It tagged on tagged. my end. It, yep. It, yeah. Wouldn't do it again. Never. Statistically, okay. 95% fail. Yep. Okay. So we actually help people pull together joint ventures. And the way we do that is we send them a questionnaire with a whole lot of detailed questions, which helps people to really think through whether or not this is a viable enterprise to go into or not. Um, and then we talk through the different types of structures. So one way you can do a joint venture is what's called an unincorporated joint venture, which is either your business and their business going into a contract and then the joint venture is founded in the contract or you can corporatize a joint venture. So you set up a new company and people get shares and then there's shareholder agreements and all of that sort of thing. Um, you can form a partnership. I'd partnerships I don't recommend. Um, the reason I don't recommend partnerships just quickly is that if you enter into a partnership, you are 100% responsible for what the other partners do, whether you know about it or not, and whether you agreed to it or not. So a prime example is a law firm I worked at many, many years ago. And after I left, one of the partners went to jail for trust account fraud. One of the other partners who had nothing to do with it and knew nothing about it but had property was the one who got sued to try and recover the missing money because they were in a partnership. Now, obviously, that particular partnership, law firms used to, law firms and accounting firms used to have to be a partnership structure. They are now able to be a corporate structure. So most are shifting or have shifted to a corporate structure, but there are still some partnerships out there. So if you're forming any sort of venture with someone else, some of the key things to think about are what happens at the end. Um, if it's, whether it's a good, bad or indifferent ending, what happens at the end? Who gets what? And how is that going to happen? So some of the joint ventures that we work in, you get people from different skill bases. So you might have someone who can do um, web dev and digital marketing come in and help someone who has a product that they want to sell. In that situation, the product owner and the website developer have very different skills that they're building, uh, bringing in, and they're building something jointly. What we normally do suggest to people is set up as an unincorporated joint venture because they're much easier to dismantle and give it a period of time. So normally two years, a lot of people say one year, but it's very hard to get runs on the board in the first year because you're still working out a whole lot of stuff. And particularly from a marketing perspective, you're still getting traction. So we usually say give it two years and have some triggers that at the end of two years encourage you to bring an end to the joint venture one way or another. And one way is to turn it into a whole new business, so a separate company, do something more formal. And another way is each party walk away and then we work out right at the beginning when each party walk away, what are they walking away with? So what happens with the jointly created asset? 
Um, so we're thinking through those things and sorting those out and we document them in joint venture agreements. Now, there's a variation that has come in in the last few years uh, where particularly business coaches have um, gone into situations where they want a revenue share. So they're, instead of charging you know, $25,000 for a year's worth of coaching with a business coach, they'll go into a revenue share deal with you and take a percentage of your revenue over your existing revenue that they help you earn. So let me simplify that. You might be turning over 500000 a year. They help you push the revenue up to 750. They take a percentage share of the 250 difference and they continue to take that share for a period of time after they've stopped coaching you, depending on how the relationship ends. So if the relationship ends on their part, they say, look, I don't want to work with you anymore. Then they normally walk away and the, the revenue share amount stops being paid when they walk away. But if you bring an end to the relationship and you've helped, they've helped you really grow your business, then when you walk away, there might be a, what's similar to like a trailing commission or something like that for the next 12 months or two years after the end of that relationship. So there are a couple of different ways that joint ventures come together. The things that we see or the the issues that happen and where we see the most problems is when people do not document anything at the beginning. So if you're going into any of these sort of relationships on a handshake, good luck. And what Peter said about 95% failing, that happens. What we do is if you document it and you put some structure around it, you improve the chances of success, but you also make it a lot easier to dismantle at the end and you avoid that whole issue of dispute. Um, So we had last year, we helped a couple who were trying to get out of a non-documented joint venture. Um, It was 12 months of negotiations and they ended up in court. Um, now, we don't do court work, so we had to refer them on for that. But it, if it had been documented, it could have been resolved in three months, but it was never documented at the beginning. So we highly encourage you, even dot points, anything that solidifies what kind of agreement you're going into and what's going to happen at the end, particularly with IP. People get very precious about IP. IP is intellectual property. So if you are like you create a coaching program or something and you put it into this joint venture and then it goes belly up, who owns the coaching program? That kind of thing. Um, so any questions? I don't know about a question, but yeah, so many, well, many horror stories I've heard of partnerships like you're just describing, where it's a, a turned into a buddy, uh, you know, turned into the biggest legal battle and all this and they ended up losing everything anyway because of the legal costs and that's it it was ridiculous yeah Yeah. and it can cost you know it's less than five grand up front saves you hundreds of thousand dollars at the end Mm, you know yeah Yeah. i guess you could think of um every business relationship like a hollywood affair prenup or nup (laughs) you've got a question yeah, I'm just really curious, and it might be a silly question, but how do you, when you've got those trailing commissions, 
is there a software to actually, I suppose, um, work that out or is that just requiring honesty from a perspective of this is how much I earned this month? So it's a, it depends on the business. So there is software, for example, if you use um, like Entreport or Infusionsoft or any of those sort of CRMs, um, normally you can allow affiliates to log in and see what sales have occurred and what they've earned and all of that sort of thing. So depending on the size of the business, that may be in place. Um, We normally write into joint venture agreements, reporting provisions or revenue share agreements, reporting provisions and an authority to access accounting information um, and also an authority to audit if concerned. So, you know, if you go into business with someone who suddenly buys a Maserati and then they claim they haven't got any profits, you might want to have a look at their accounts. (laughs) 